Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali, and I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Hey, everybody. So, as some of you may know, James really likes Hitman. Um, and the story with Hitman is that nobody wants to play it. Um, and so, <laughs> James is always going on about Hitman, but nobody will play Hitman. Correct. Uh, even me, and, Tragic. I, and I have a copy of it. I got him a copy, and he hasn't installed it yet. No, I haven't. Uh, it's been like a year. <laughs> a tale as old as time. Yeah. I've done that for like at least three other people, too. Yeah. I mean... No one will play Hitman. I will someday. <laughs> well, Relationship ultimatum right here. <laughs> the point is that today, we're actually talking about my Hitman. <laughs> it's the game Prey from 2017. It's like one of my favorite games, and nobody wants to play it or talk about it. So I got James to play it and talk about it, mm. even though I totally don't deserve it, because I won't play it, man. <laughs> See, I'm a great friend. Yeah. I played that Hitman. Yeah, you're a much better friend than me. Um, I try. But yeah, we're talking about Prey. It's the uh, sci-fi horror immersive sim creeping mm. around a space station simulator uh yes this is the one from 2017 not the older one we'll talk about it <laughs> <laughs> but before we get too deep into it as always this episode is brought to you by you you can go to patreon.com zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and you get bonus content of course once a week uh and we've got like 30 something bonus episodes now yeah it's crazy there's like a real backlog now mm, um covering lots enough. yeah covering lots of topics um we've been doing topics that people send us lately too which is really fun so yeah people want to know why i hate everything and am a buzzkill so <laughs> Yeah. Also, we've been uh, getting the gang online to play uh, an online game. Maybe that will continue. Maybe that will not. But we'll see. Yeah. So like we always say, we're a game club. You can hop in our Discord and talk to us about the games that we're playing, that you're playing. At the end of every episode, we tell you what's next on the schedule if you want to play along. And for the first time with Resident Evil Resistance, we actually got some folks from the Discord to play the mm -hmm. game with us. Um, it was super fun and you can hear all about it in the bonus episode that we did that came out last week. Yeah. It was hood rat as fuck. Yeah. Just, uh, doing hood rat stuff with our friends. Yeah. It was, it was great. Um, yeah. I would like to do that again. Um, maybe totally. with a different game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see what we come up with. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll have to review one of those, uh, asymmetrical multiplayer games like friday the 13th or something mm, yeah that's a good idea that could be fun yeah okay so prey why mm -hmm. will nobody play prey <laughs> <laughs> okay well there's actually a good re see the funny thing is unlike hitman where it just seems like people are being assholes like <laughs> there actually is like kind of a decent reason why people avoided and it's because they really? were confused mm, really and, yeah people were very confused so 
Prey came out in 2017. I think it was announced maybe a year earlier, but it had been in development for much, much longer. Mm. Um, so there is a game from, two, I believe, 2005 called Prey. Uh, yeah. This is a 3D Realms developed um, sci-fi FPS. Uh, the original Prey was, and it has the same title, it's just Prey. So, like, the confusion begins early. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of a, a hit amongst, like, FPS fans. Uh, people saw it as kind of in the same wheelhouse as Half-Life. Uh, it's basically about uh, a Native American dude, which is notable, because it's, like, maybe the only time that, like, there's, like, a normal seemingly normal Native American protagonist in a game. I don't know. I haven't played... You mean, the, you played mean Turok game. Dinosaur Hunter isn't, isn't normal? <laughs> no. Dang it. <laughs> I mean, I haven't played this game, so I'm not going to go to bat for it. Okay. But, but it seems like it's just, like, a guy. You know what I mean? And, like, <laughs> they use, like, imagery, like, Native American imagery and stuff. But anyway, the premise is that he gets, like, abducted by aliens and goes on, like, a crazy sci-fi adventure. Um, mm. It seems to be a pretty standard first-person shooter. It's not open world or an immersive sim like all the other games we're going to talk about today. Um, but it was sort of a fan favorite, and it did pretty well. Um, and almost immediately, they announced that they were going to make Prey 2. And <laughs> Prey 2 generated even more buzz than Prey because the trailers and all the early material they showed for it was like crazy um Mm -hmm. if you want to if you weren't hip to this like i was not hip to this and you want to understand why people were pissed when prey 2017 was not prey 2 go like watch the trailer for prey 2 and read about what they promised gamers because it is fucking (laughs) nuts like number one you can see immediately why the game entered development hell and was canceled in 2011 like Mm. immediately because they were like it's an open world sci-fi game you can go anywhere and do whatever you want it's a living breathing city full of real inhabitants and it's like you fucking idiots like you're gonna do this in 2006 (laughs) give me a fucking break Um, yeah but it looks um like even watching it now it's hard not to be like damn i wish this Mm. was a game you know um (laughs) it's basically like similar premise to prey except like you're in an alien city instead of an alien ship and it looks like blade runner and it's all open world um sort of like uh blade runner meets uh beyond good and evil Mm. um super cool looking but yeah it got canceled um and then the rights were bought up by another company bethesda everybody's favorite publisher Oh boy. Yeah. And so essentially they had this prey license kicking around. And my assumption is that they just needed to make something with it uh, Mm -hmm. to like keep holding on to license or they were like, huh, we've got this. And so a developer arcane who had already been working on a sci-fi immersive sim decided Mm -hmm. to, build it into the prey quote-unquote franchise even though there is no prey franchise it's just one game (laughs) Uh, now to make things even more confusing the game that they ended up building and once again it's so hard to find answers i did the research and i'm not sure 
but I don't know if this was like beforehand or if they just landed here. The game that they ended up building, first of all, is just called Prey because it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a reboot of Prey. But it's also supposed to be a spiritual successor to System Shock 2 and System Shock. Okay. Um, what? <laughs> exactly. So they they had like announced this game then. This is probably in like 2016. Uh, and mm-hmm. everybody's response was the response that you just gave. It was like, <laughs> what is this? Um, like why even call it the same name it's just something different at this point exactly and so what's weird is that everybody kind of assumed that this was just Bethesda being assholes and that you know as they frequently do with like the rights to books or other things that they were kind of in a use it or lose it mindset like Mm -hmm. we bought this thing let's get some return on it uh, but developer interviews seem to suggest that they actually wanted to do that and it was maybe their idea. Uh, there's a lot of bad ideas in the marketing and presentation of this game, like outside of the game that seem to come direct from the developers, which is interesting. Um, the game mm-hmm. is developed by Arcane that was started by like a, a veteran of the immersive sim genre. He had like worked on the original System Shock um Mm. so you think you would know better but uh (laughs) he like super didn't know better yeah so this game kind of came out under a cloud of confusion uh it also didn't help that a lot of people just don't even know what immersive sims are and if you the listener don't know i'm gonna tell you just wait um (laughs) but like so it sort of looked like just another sci-fi space first person shooter that for some reason was connected to all these classic games, but there was no real compelling reason why. Also, in 2017, like single player, heavily story based games in general were not great selling. Right. Um, even if they were AAA. Like, I mean, we've only seen a resurgence of single player games doing well, like recently with, you know, like Resident Evil and stuff like that. But even like the second and third Tomb Raider games didn't sell well. Um, the last Deus Ex game flopped. Hitman flopped. I mean, yeah, all these single player triple or double A games were kind of flopping at this point. Yeah, for sure. And I think there are some interesting kind of like cultural uh considerations that go into that um and specifically with prey although it kind of applies to all the games that you just listed so prey is an immersive sim uh if you haven't heard of this genre these are basically open-ended action rpg games that largely use the style of an fps game so the way you interface with Mm -hmm. the world the different verbs you can do um it's all taken from first person shooters but they expand the interaction and exploration possibilities outward. So you don't always have to use combat. You don't always have to shoot everything. And if you want, you can never use combat and just use stealth and exploration like the whole game. Mm -hmm. Um, It was largely believed to kind of started with System Shock 2 and Thief. And I think Mm -hmm. the, the biggest splash was made by the original Deus Ex. 
and sure. all those yeah. games are around the same time. That's like around 1999. Yeah. Also, you get you know you're either leveling up or have skill trees. Mm-hmm. You you can specialize in things like melee combat, you know, ranged combat, or like special abilities. Um, yeah. Like that. It's notable that the people who created these games all had the same background, which was that they worked on PC RPGs. Makes sense. Yup. So immersive sim is sort of like taking the stats and skill tree and class ideas from a PC RPG, mapping it onto a first person shooter, and then just opening up the possibilities. So would would you consider something like Fallout 3 an immersive sim? Well, so here's here's the thing. <laughs> uh I think this genre is super unsung and it's been hugely influential on a lot of the games that came out after it even mm-hmm. though it's not discussed much and it hasn't had the sales figures to match those games. So mm. I think Fallout 3 is kind of an immersive sim. I would say it's like 80% an immersive sim. Um, mm. But I think the things that it pulls from the original Fallout, which was just a straight up like PC RPG game yeah. for the most part, um, mm-hmm. sort of twist it a little bit. And I think it has less possibility than uh, a normal immersive sim. Really? Because there's so much dialogue and decision-making with interacting with NPCs in a game like that. Oh, I agree. But I think that's more of like the RPG forte, whereas sure. I feel like the immersive sim, all the open-endedness is in the gameplay and the mechanics. Mm, okay. Because, yeah, like in, in, in Prey, um, NPC interaction is pretty limited. And you know you you rarely get to make choices with NPCs, either you know unless it's like kill them or not, you know. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I think is the difference between like normal like modern game and an immersive sim is that in an immersive sim it's almost like the it's flipped where it's like from a gameplay perspective you can do whatever you want within the systems of the game, mm-hmm. um, and from a story perspective and a, like a dialogue perspective or whatever it's the opposite like and and that's kind of why i think prey is such a great immersive sim and that's also why system shock 2 worked is that you're mostly interacting with people just through audio logs or through like you know over the radio or whatever because mm-hmm. that's not the part of the game where the immersion and the like open-endedness is so you're going to end up at the same place, but how you get there is decided by you. Exactly. Um, Got it. And I, I think the reason that people are so confused about immersive sims and why it's not talked about as much anymore is because of the way that it's influenced spread into modern games. Like, mm-hmm. So for me, when I think of like modern action adventure games, and I think of like, you know, the mono genre, uh, like I think of stuff like Ubisoft games. Um, I think of stuff like... Uh, you know the <laughs> mono genre yeah you know like it took a second yeah yeah like every third person action adventure game now is kind of the same it's like you are a chiseled man maybe in a forest uh or a city <laughs> or something yeah. you have skill trees you're meant to explore and find stuff and fill out these skill trees um but it's also a heavily scripted experience for the most part yeah like how different is like far cry from assassin's creed or something like that yeah exactly yeah. if from uncharted from 
you know what like and they even just sound the same like i feel like i could just start saying random <laughs> sh- like oh justified uh you know i don't know you could just like say whatever you want it's like oh yeah that's a game where you're a chiseled man um just cause yeah just cause <laughs> just cause oh um, christ so it, these games are all really influenced by immersive sims because like when you press start you can pop open a skill tree and like decide yeah. how you level up and blah 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 and even like the one game that's kind of in that style that I've played and that we've both played are is like Evil Within, right? Mm, yeah. And it's interesting because it's the same idea, but it's done in a very, very different way. So just once again, to give an example of people who aren't familiar with this genre, I think in a game like Evil Within, you can choose like, do I want to level up my punch or do I want to level up my stealth or do I want to level up my gun, right? Yeah. Like it changes how you play, but not at a root level Mm -hmm. like in an immersive sim when you make that choice you might say am i going to level up my hacking my stealth or my gun and whichever one you choose starts you down a path towards like that might be the only way that you interact with the world yeah well you know in deus ex you can basically finish the game as a pacifist so right yeah and that's the big thing in all of these games it's a combination of level design and interaction design right so you have to give the player multiple routes they can follow but you also have to give them multiple ways they can solve a problem and it gets super detailed which is why this genre is cool can we break down that title because i fucking hate it immersive sim Uh like it, it doesn't annoy me as much as like walking simulator because at least with walking simulator it's tongue in cheek while describing nothing yeah. Immersive sim means fucking nothing. Yeah, it, it definitely does mean nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think it's the reason, it's part of the reason the genre isn't talked about as much because it has a terrible name. And I think it's important because it's a confusingly terrible name, right? Because like, mm. if we just said sim game, you would think of something like a flight simulator or like Sim City, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, this is not a simulation of anything. Right. Well, it's more of like an RPG. Like, you're playing the role of this character that you've fallen into. Right. And that's how I would describe, like I described it earlier. I mean, that's exactly how I would describe these games. It's like you're playing a first-person shooter, except you choose a class, and the class you choose drastically and dramatically changes the play style of the game. Mm-hmm. I would call it FP RPG. Yeah. I mean, basically. <laughs> but I think the reason that I really like these games is because of that design style, they all end up mm. sharing an ethos in terms of like being more atmospheric and being more exploration driven. Um, yeah, for sure. So like all these games essentially end up being like dark, atmospheric, and uh, stealth focused just because you don't always have to fight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and similarly, as like survival horror games, um, generally the protagonist is at an extreme disadvantage yeah. at certain points. Yeah. So all these games are like hard <laughs> and uh-huh. on purpose because they want you to actually use the systems in the game. That's an important point that I'm going to come back to in like a minute. Um <laughs> Would you consider something like Half-Life an immersive sim? Or is that just like prototype immersive sim, like getting to that level? Um, I wouldn't say it's either. Just because 
it shares a lot of the aesthetic trappings and the aesthetic ideas. But like I said, I think for an immersive sim to be an immersive sim, there has to be multiple drastically different ways to approach the same problem. Mm, I think in a game like Half-Life or even Half-Life 2, it's true that you can approach a problem in different ways in terms of your strategy, but it's pretty much always shoot the thing. (laughs) Shoot or hide. Yeah, and that's the difference between like any game that has immersive sim qualities and something that's actually an immersive sim Mm -hmm. right okay and so that was why like okay system shock 2 amazing game like we're going to talk about at some point i feel like it'll be sooner rather than later because there's all these like announcements lately that have been coming out about the system shock franchise remakes and sequels and canceled sequels it's mega confusing yeah Um, but as far as i can tell Night Dive is either working on or already did a remaster of System Shock 2 and is working on a remake of the original System Shock. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I do think that one or both of those may actually end up feeling quite similar to Prey, which will be darkly hilarious to me. Well, okay, so but there's another thing about this genre. It's fucking dead, and no one wants to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um... Square Enix truncated uh, the newest Deus Ex game. When you get it, you get two thirds of a game, uh, and then they like added on some like monetization multiplayer bullshit to it. Um, Deus Ex is dead. Like that. That's that's not coming back anytime soon. From what I understand, this game flopped pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, the last Dishonored game flopped pretty hard. Um, I kind of feel like we're at a dead end for this genre for a while. Well, and even saying it's dead sort of presupposes that it ever really had a moment. <laughs> and like, well, you know, some people love Thief, but I guess it's also the people that talk about loving Hitman. This is what I'm saying: is that this genre has always been this way. Like, mm. it, every one of these games is exactly the same in that, like there are people who will defend them to the death and talk about how they're the best games ever made. And there are way more people that are like, okay, boomer. (laughs) And like, it's, it's weird. And even like if this genre doesn't even have that many titles in it, and it's easy to see why these games are hard to make. They require a ton of resources. Like, yeah. He like one guy can make an FPS because you just have to design a map. One guy cannot make an immersive sim because you have to design a map that has tons of pathways and alternate routes and different ways of interacting with things. And it's like, holy shit, you know, like you need a pretty big studio of experienced people. Mm. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I love these games personally, um, all of these games, but especially Prey. Uh, I love these games because they basically take the idea like we're talking about of a computer RPG where you can approach things differently and play the way you want to play and blah 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 but they put it in a package that's really accessible I think like Mm. I'm not really a big fan of most like computer RPGs because I don't like the point and click interface like I don't like the slow speed and blah 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 like these games putting it in the package of like a first person shooter and making it easy to pick up and play totally changes the way you interact with it and it totally changes the type of game it is sure yeah totally Um, and it puts you in first person too so it's like you're 
emotionally invested in it, you know? Yeah. And I think like if that kind of shit sounds good to you, you have to play Prey because it's just that, but in a sci-fi horror package. You know what sure. I mean? And it's like yeah. super good. Yeah. Well, okay. So going into Prey blind for this review, um, I booted it up and you know throughout the entire intro and like first half of the game i couldn't stop thinking that this game is basically half-life 3 sure like it it's basically like a re-envisioning of that entire story and setup in its own way and it like all those people loved half-life 2 and but they didn't play this they're doing themselves a disservice yeah and i actually have a list a litany if you will of reasons why prey is half-life 3 yeah um just starting at the beginning there's a huge emphasis on the suit you're putting it on putting on uh it's it's just like the suit from half-life i don't remember what it's called gordon's jammies gordon's jammies <laughs> perfect you put it on the beginning of the game it talks to you the whole game like if your health gets low it's like telling you uh it gives you audio and visual feedback constantly uh, right at the beginning of the game, there's an emphasis on a melee weapon. You know, Half-Life has the crowbar, Prey has the wrench, and that wrench will be your handy companion through the entire game. Yeah, and it's similar to the crowbar where it's not like a knife in a normal FPS where you you never use it after the first 30 seconds. It's like, you right. keep using that thing. You're going to use it forever. Yeah. You're going to like smash coffee cups with that thing for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> There's a commute in the opening, you know, just like how Half-Life 1 and 2 start with, like, train and trolley rides. There's a helicopter ride right at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, You land right in the middle of an experiment gone wrong. And, like, sure, that's a trope, but, like, the shoe fits here, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got a silent protagonist the entire game, which actually ends up being, like, comical at several points because it's like, Jesus Christ, why is this person not talking? (laughs) Yeah. Um, there are scientists all over the place that are like dead and dying. Sometimes you can help them, but that usually just ends up with them dying anyways. Yeah. Um, there's a huge emphasis on a gimmick weapon, which is the glue gun in this game, which shoots like giant popcorn balls you can climb on. Mm -hmm. And you know, of course, Half-Life 2 had the gravity gun. Um, in Half-Life 1, when you think you're about to escape, the military shows up and starts to kill everyone. Yeah. The recon team. That happens here. Yeah. Um, bad guys from from another dimension that zap into where you are. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of um, similarities between the tiers of bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, in Half-Life, you've got the classic head crabs. Here you have the mimics that, like, turn into, like, coffee cups and fire hydrants. Mm-hmm. And even, like, the bigger bad guys, like the phantoms, they look like the Vortigons from Half-Life. So. Yeah. This game is the Half-Life that you haven't played, so go play it. Yeah, it is It is the unofficial Half-Life 3. It's also, I mean, just from a horror perspective, I think there is a similarity in the horror, right? Like, so, I mean, both games are super influenced by Alien. I mean, Half-Life was so influenced by Alien that they just threw in a fucking, he- uh, like, a, like a face hugger in the game. And it's like a big enemy, right? The head crab. Uh, but... In this game, they sort of expanded outwards to like a lot of different types of 80s horror. There's a huge 80s horror component to this game. Mm. 
So really early in the game, you meet the mimics or you're introduced to the concept of these things called mimics. And they're sort of like the grunt enemies in the game, uh, except they can kick your ass for like a surprisingly (laughs) long stretch of the game. Like, yep. uh, But the other thing is that they're mimics. They can turn themselves into literally anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like you're wandering around and suddenly like, yeah, a coffee cup turns into a fucking alien or like something that looks like a med kit turns into an alien and you're just like, Oh yeah. my God, like what the fuck? Uh, so there's definitely kind of like uh the thing meets alien horror component. Sure. Um, later the bigger enemies stalk and hunt you more like something from predator. And then the really, really big bad guys are like Lovecraftian. Yeah. It's cool. I, I really enjoyed seeing all the different levels of bad guys and feeling like they were all from different like eighties movies. So there's another game you could compare a prey to and that many people have unfavorably because people are jerks, mm. um, which is Bioshock. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Nope, never heard of it. Yeah. Not once. So, Bioshock, there is a comparison to be made. Bioshock is also, uh, was meant to be a spiritual successor to System Shock and System Shock 2. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Bioshock came out in the, what, mid-late 2000s. Uh, and setting Xboxes on fire across America. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like one of these... Uh, the internet's favorite game type Mm -hmm. of games. I think I'm like working on a new theory that like when a game becomes the internet's favorite game that like you cannot compare anything to it. You can never best it. And it is the greatest game of all time, (laughs) regardless of any criticism you could make of it. Um, Recently, we saw that with the original Resident Evil 3 suddenly the internet's favorite game (laughs) the perfect game the perfect game um angry joe angry joe said it was the perfect game the perfect game wow thanks angry joe jesus h that's just like so wrong um the 43rd angry gamer reviewer on youtube (laughs) this is a real person you're talking about yeah of course oh i thought this was he yells he just gets mad really i didn't know that people did that people get mad about video games yeah, they just like scream to their cameras on the internet. It's Holy crazy. shit, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I got to get into that, man. <laughs> yeah, we got to get in on that while the uh, iron's hot, you know? Yeah, totally. This great new trend. My angle is that I'm like Arab and that it could like result in a in an instance of domestic terrorism or something. God damn it. Like I've always got a bomb <laughs> strapped to me. <laughs> Nintendo's going to call the police on you. <laughs> Dude, that's my YouTube channel, The Suicide Bomber Gamer. God damn it. <laughs> Delete this. No, this is all staying Deleting in. the Prey episode. This is my type of humor unmasked. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, everybody loves Bioshock. You can't say anything bad about Bioshock, but Bioshock sucks. Like Bioshock is like, if you're too hot topic for Halo, Bioshock's your shit. <laughs> exactly. Well, and... So for me, the reason that I didn't like Bioshock was all the reasons I've... Okay, so it was actually great that you were asking me, like, is this game an immersive sim? Is this game an immersive sim? Because that's like, when I was playing Bioshock, having played System Shock 2 and been a big fan of it, I was like, when is that shit gonna happen? Um, right. And it never does. Same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like, 
I think the comparison to draw here, basically Bioshock was to immersive sims what Resident Evil 4 was to survival horror. What, it ruined it? Yeah, yeah, like, except survival horror recovered from RE4 and people started making scary games again, but like... It just took a decade. Yeah, immersive sims kind of never recovered. Like, yeah. and at some point we're going to have to talk about Bioshock and do an episode on it, but like... Mm-hmm. I don't know. My take on it was that it showed how you could dumb down an immersive sim and make it commercially viable and put in like a really goofy, shitty story that everyone gets angry at and for YouTube about how great it is. You know what I mean? The Fountainhead. Yeah, holy shit. You guys really like Ayn Rand? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Ayn Rand Paul? Yeah, holy shit. You like a libertarian that fills her books with, like, weird rape fantasies? That's what you guys are into? Oh, my God. I've actually read this stuff. I'm fucking dangerous, man. I'm, I'm deleting this episode from the internet. <laughs> and so am I. So I guess throughout this episode, I make a lot of spicy takes. And it was brought to my attention that some of them are unfair or could be misconstrued. So I'm going to stop this episode and explain what I meant. Uh, so this joke... Uh, to explain the joke is not that Bioshock is pro Ayn Rand or that everyone who likes Bioshock likes Ayn Rand or is an objectivist. The joke here is that the story in Bioshock is facile and stupid and feels like it was written by a 12-year-old, which is a criticism I stand by. Um... I guess essentially my problem with Bioshock, because I'm now pretty committed to never talking about Bioshock, mostly because I just don't want to play that stupid game again. But the criticism here stems from this. I think it's basically like poorly done intellectual cosplay. They dressed up the game in the philosophy of objectivism or in the ideas of Ayn Rand. However, they didn't actually have a strong enough message or viewpoint to justify making that reference. Uh, so, for example, you can take it as a critique of objectivism if you say, oh, well, the city fell apart because, you know, these ideas of a trickle-down economy with the, all the power at the top, right? But the game doesn't really make that point. It doesn't really make any sort of point. It's sort of just like a generic, the quote-unquote, the folly of man type scenario. So for me playing it, I feel like it's just not a strong idea. And they still dressed it up in those clothes, right? The clothes of uh, objectivism or the ideas of Ayn Rand. Um, It's just like if you dressed up a game in fascist iconography or fascist ideology, but didn't deal with it, I would say that it's a weak game. And I could then critique that game for doing that. Not saying the game is pro-fascist or made by fascists, but I could, in my opinion, reasonably make that critique, which is the critique that I make of Bioshock, right? Okay, so not calling anybody out. Um, I guess unless you do like Ayn Rand, in which case, like, I am, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm posting it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the new getting down put it on reddit guy of this duo (laughs) No, Ayn Rand is fucking horrible and I've actually read it just to prove a point when I was in high school about how horrible Mm. it was and uh, 
Yeah. Is there a is there a manga adaptation of that? <laughs> might, have, might have to pick it up. Dude, that would be like a bestseller for like pale internet neckbeards. Dude. Yeah. Facts. Junji Ito's The Fountainhead. Dude, let's get rich. Let's write it and have Lacey draw it. Let's get fucking rich, Fuck, dude. dude. Fuck. I'm down. But I will take like 70% of the credit. <laughs> James Woodard's The Fountainhead. I take it all back. <laughs> Delete this episode right now. Delete it, dude. This is officially the <laughs> lost episode. Oh, man. Uh, no, but okay, so like Bioshock. <laughs> Ayn Rand's wet dream, Bioshock. So I didn't like Bioshock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nope. I felt like it took the ideas that were presented in all these games like System Shock 2, Thief, Deus Ex, and it dumbed them down. And like we were talking about earlier, I think it did it did exactly what like Half-Life 2 or Fallout 3 or whatever type of games would do, which is like sort of have some of those ideas, but ultimately make it so that it's just a shooter. You can't not shoot things. Bioshock is Quake 2 for like soggy steampunks. <laughs> yeah. Now... <laughs> It's not a problem in games like Fallout 3 because Fallout 3 isn't supposed to be an immersive sim. It's supposed to be a fa- like a Fallout game. Like, that's fine. But in a game that is supposed to be an immersive sim and it's supposed to follow System Shock, I thought it was lame. Um, I think, especially when you get towards the end of the game, you're literally just God shooting bees out of your hands at everybody and it's like not fun. You never have to choose another way to interact with the world or the enemies unless you're doing some like crazy youtube challenge or something you know what i mean like you don't need to take an alternate route so the problem with bioshock is that it's supposed to be in this series of immersive sims it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be an immersive sim type game but Despite the branching skill trees and different abilities it gives you, you never get to engage with the world in a way that's like not just fight everything. Yeah. And that's that was a big disappointment for me when it came out because I tried it and that's what I wanted out of it. And then it ended up, you know, just being like Quake 2 with eyeliner on. Yeah, basically. And that's the thing is that people confused it giving you combat options with it giving you interaction options. Right, right. And that's like what's at the heart of an immersive sim. And that's also why like the game is even more disappointing because it has the nice like dark oppressive atmosphere of a game like System Shock 2, but it doesn't do anything with it because every time an enemy appears, you just have to fight it. Sure, yeah. Um, And that's like... Okay, and another point too is that maybe this isn't the same for everybody, but for me, when a game gives you different ways to interact with the world and different systems, it has to justify it too. Because if it's easiest to just run around shooting everything, I'm probably just going to run around shooting everything, right? And that's, oh, yeah, totally. Right? And like, I think Bioshock biffed that by being too easy, whereas mm. I think. Prey does it really well. And a lot of these other games I'm talking about do too, like System Shock and Thief and Deus Ex, like they yeah. do it by making the game hard. So like Prey is hard. Like the enemies, especially early in the game, can always just like one shot you. You are very soft and squishy in Prey, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's actually one of the best parts of the game is that you have to use these systems. You have to learn stealth. You have to learn the like psi abilities and stuff in order mm-hmm. to even get anywhere in the game 
There also is a quick save and quick load that I don't know about you, but I used liberally. So I would replay action-y parts to get like the best run. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, totally. If if I did a fight and I lost a ton of health and had to heal three times, I would definitely load and try again until I got it right. So yeah, this game is pretty freaking hard, especially at the beginning. And so luckily there is a quick save and quick load that I use pretty much all the time. Um, this game is super punishing. So like if, if you run into a room and just get massacred and use all your health, health packs, like the health is scarce enough that you're just going to want to like reload constantly. Something I did a lot in like the uh, old school FPS games like Half-Life, just quick save and quick load constantly, you know? Yeah. And I think it gets to another thing about this game that I really, really like, which is that the design of it kind of encourages game breaking. Um, Mm, Yeah, true. So, I mean, within the skill trees, like you can basically make your character superhumans. You can run and Mm -hmm. jump like way too fast and way too high. Uh, And even like the game's approach to physics is similar to its approach to like quick saving and quick loading where it's like, you can just make it so you're a god or like yeah. you can make it so that you can access areas that you quote unquote shouldn't be able to access. Um, sure. Yeah. And that's one thing I really, really, really enjoyed about this game. And once again, that sets it apart from like a non-immersive sim take on mm. this like same type of game. Right. Like well, I do feel like a lot of that is taken from games like Half-Life and Portal especially with the gimmick gun you know the glue gun is very much in the same family as um you know half-life's gravity gun and portals portal gun um it 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 makes you think out of the box in similar ways as those games do for sure i just feel like it's so much more open like i think my favorite moment was pretty late in the game there's like this huge hangar that you need to get to the top of and there's like a puzzle you can solve to get to the top and i was solving the puzzle slowly and i i finally hit the point where it's like i don't get what i'm supposed to do and i'm sick of this and then i realized that i could actually just shoot the so you have a thing called the glue gun mm-hmm. it basically like shoots this goopy shit out and you can use it popcorn to, yeah <laughs> you can use it to stun enemies or like freeze enemies but you can also use it to like mend broken pipes and shit like that Mm -hmm. however fun tip you can shoot it at the wall to make platforms and like jump up them like platforms Mm -hmm. and i had like invested a lot in my jump skill so i was like a fucking rocket jumper and so (laughs) i basically just started making myself a staircase out of the glue gun and went all the way from like the bottom to the top of the room and yeah it was totally insane and it was so fucking fun yeah, it is sort of limited on how it's used. Um, you can't use the glue gun on glass, so that's how they kind of like prevent you from completely breaking the game. But yeah, there are a lot of places where you could use it to your extreme advantage. Right. Um, I remember there's one part of the game to, uh, kind of late where uh, you have to get to this guy's office, with, and it has a keypad on it. And it's like three stories up, and uh, yeah, I just built a staircase on the wall outside and got my ass up there like super early yeah well and that's like okay so there's a similar approach to exploration in the game as well like you get a map 
and you get objectives, but the layout of the game is so detailed that I actually didn't find myself using the map all that much. Like, really, I really was using it just to know where the like cardinal direction I was supposed to go is. Mm-hmm. And you also get a mission marker that's like pretty useful, unlike the mission marker that we were talking about in the Sinking City episode, where like it's like totally fucking useless. This one, it actually <laughs> kind of leads you like, so you don't have to constantly be opening your map or at least like I didn't need to do that. Yeah, those are clutch. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes they do glitch out though. I'll tell you the wrong way. Yeah, that's true. Um, but like the thing that I, I loved about this game was that there's so many like different ways you can go and little hidden pathways and stuff. So yeah. like you're always looking for air vents you can unlock and go and take like a service <laughs> access route you're always trying to find like a secret passage or something where you can go like under the walkway to your objective and all that kind of stuff i was always looking for post-it notes because the passwords are always going to be on post-it notes yeah <laughs> exactly but i just like i loved that because it also made some great moments like and and this is something we mentioned earlier but it really needs to be said that like the real story in this game just like in alien isolation it's all about the little weird moments and procedural things that happen to you while you're playing. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. So, for example, there was this. There's this one part where you're uh, in an arboretum, and there's a greenhouse, um, and there's this bad guy that's like mind controlling a bunch of humans. And so, if you open the doors, all the humans are going to kill you, and the bad guy controlling them is going to kill you. But what I did is I used the glue gun, made a staircase to the roof of the greenhouse, and then stayed far away enough from the alien that was trying to kill me. And just sniped it to death, and it didn't know where I was. And so, like, I one saved all the humans, which was kind of like the whole reason for me doing this. And two, I didn't take any damage because the times I did bum rush the thing, it just massacred me over and over again. Yeah. So I kind of had like the opposite experience of that early in the game. Um, that I think is really funny. Where um, there's a room that you can go into pretty early if you invest in your hacking skill but it's like full of these really powerful enemies uh and so you don't want to go in there like if you open the door you're like oh no 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 and you run out (laughs) and so i was in like a different part of the ship that's above it and i didn't realize i was above it and so Mm. i found this like service access hatch in the floor and i was like oh yeah cool i'm gonna go down here and i was going down there and then like i accidentally fell through a hole in the floor that i didn't see was there and <laughs> ended up right back in that room and just ended up getting like i was like terrified and then i was just completely destroyed by these like pretty high level enemies that's and awesome it was just so fucking funny and little things like that happen to you all the time in this game yeah yeah absolutely it, it's almost like a fallout three or four in t- terms of like you creating your own stories as you go exactly and the main overarching story is just it's not why you're here yeah well and there's another aspect too that i really don't see brought up a lot in discussion of this game and that's that there is a story in this game that's actually really 
compelling and well-written, but it's not the main story. It's all the mm. little side stories that you discover while playing through like collecting and, and exploring. Yeah. And well, I, I made a big point of this when I was researching the game is that the, um, the world building is really cool. Yeah. Not just the story, but like you're looking around this ship that looks kind of outdated in sort of like an art deco way. And there are areas that look like brutalism, but this all ties into like the overarching story and you get the story through like, uh, books you read in the game or through even like the loading screens. But it's really cool because it's like a, an alternate history where JFK didn't die. Yeah. And so like the space program was like really pushed. Uh, and during the space race, the Soviets discover these aliens called the Typhon aboard uh, Sputnik 1. And um, so the U.S. government and Russian government decide to team up and remove this threat unbeknownst to the public. Um, so they build this spaceship, which later becomes... Talos One, the spaceship you're on in the game. So it, it's kind of like been built out through decades and you can see those decades. Like the lobby looks very like mid 1960s, like a lot of wood, a lot of gold, sans serif fonts and things like that. Right. And then a lot of the research areas look a lot more brutalist Russian, you know, like Soviet brutalism, a lot yeah. of concrete and stuff. It's really interesting. Yeah. And once again, I think that it's one of the things that puts it above something like Bioshock and the many clones of Bioshock to me, because in those games, it's just like, Oh, I don't know. It's art deco. Like, whereas <laughs> in this game, it's actually done really well because it's not consistent. You can see the seams, like it's a, a space station that was slowly built out over time. And there's like a, a world building reason for why it exists, you know? Yeah. And now in the present, well, the game's present, which is like 2035, uh, it's been privatized. And so this corporation owns it and took it over from their governments. Right. And Transstar is the name of the corporation. Right. And I, I, I just loved that approach um, to world building. And it's something that continues through the game. So like another reason that I would put this game above, you know, most other games that try and tell a story in this way, except for maybe Soma. Um, I think this game has a lot in common with Soma in terms of storytelling, and I do feel like Soma is just better, but whatever. Um, <laughs> like when you so when you start the game, you know you're going through the space station, and as you're going through the space space station, it's clearly abandoned. However, it's like full of people's stuff, including their dead bodies and ID cards. Oh yeah, it's totally lived in. Yeah, and each each dead body has a place on and a job on the station mm -hmm. it's almost like uh, the echo night games where like each ghost has a story but it's like all these dead npcs you know it's very 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 much like echo night like it reminds me of so many games that i love like soma and echo night because what you end up doing is going through these areas you're logging into people's computers you're reading their emails, reading their notes, reading their post-it notes. Uh, mm -hmm. You're finding their audio logs, which you can listen to while walking, <laughs> which is yes. incredible. Holy shit. Groundbreaking technology. Yeah. You don't have to stand there and listen to it. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> but so you're 
slowly piecing together these people's stories. And a lot of them are organized into side quests. So you actually get like rewards for piecing together these stories in game and not just, you know, like the reward of knowing what happened, but it's just done in such a slick way. I really, really enjoyed it more than I would in a normal game. Yeah. uh, I mean, unfortunately a lot of those side quests do devolve into like fetch me this item um but it's nice that they're there at least yeah well and i like that the whole the whole aspect of these people not being like physically present and like yeah you're just like kind of tracking their their movements and that's a big part of the game too is like because everyone has like an id chip so you have to find a lot of people's dead bodies one reason I really love this game, the reason why it's my hitman, truly, uh, is because I think this game takes so many things that I don't like in other games, like fetch quests and side quests, audio logs, junk collecting, crafting, mm. and it makes them all fun uh, and enjoyable. Like it's basically the anti Bethesda game. Yeah, well, so it it has all those things, but it really like minimizes them into like their orange juice concentrate. Yeah, this was something also that the uh, Outer Worlds did really well. Mm. Like it felt like Fallout New Vegas, but it was so much concentrated that it was like over in twenty five hours, and you felt great about it. Yeah, yeah th- this does the same thing. Totally, and I think too that I mean this game is pretty long. Um, and I would argument that it is a little too long and I, I would agree with that. Yeah. But even at that, I think it is still feels punchy and concentrated compared to something like fallout. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, it's apples, apples and oranges in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that it has a lot of the same feel like that open world feel, but it's so much smaller and more manageable. Um, I think that's another thing too. If you're like me, the kind of person who likes the idea of an open world game, but doesn't like how much time and effort it takes to actually like do that, like to actually play the game. This game is awesome because like you actually do learn the layout of the station because it's small enough and you actually do like get your bearings. Whereas like playing some games, it's like you never get your bearings. Well, I also think it's, um, at a certain point you feel like you're doing busy work and this game doesn't really do that until the last third Um, yeah yeah i I will say that the last third of this game is a big misstep and we'll talk about that later um but yeah the first two thirds of the game i feel like are like a little bit of like bethesda concentrate like what what those games do well this game does really well yeah so let's talk about some of those systems because i do think they're unique and they add a lot to the game Um, so the basic, uh, progression system is that you have these skill trees, uh, and as you go through the game, you collect these things called neuro mods. Uh, they're basically like upgrade juice that you inject into your forehead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the, one of the great products from your friends at Transtar. Yeah. I, I will say too, I love how Transtar is like this kind of dystopian corporation, but they don't like harp on it too much. Like it's pretty subtle that they're just like assholes. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not like the outer worlds where they're just like shoving satire down your throat the whole time. Yeah, I thought it was really well done where you're just like, oh, man, these guys suck. (laughs) Well, like, you know, like the first time you look at the antagonist in the intro of this game, you're like, okay, these people are shitty. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even need context. Yeah, totally. It's great. Um, But so you find these neuromods and they allow you to upgrade your abilities and move up these skill trees. Um, mm-hmm. Like you'd expect from a modern game, there's different types of skill trees, um, but they mostly center around either like physical abilities, like how strong you are, how fast you can run and jump, you know, how much med kits heal you, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or auxiliary abilities you can use to get around. So there's like hacking, for example, um, which it, it is like a shitty little mini game, um, but it's it's, <laughs> it's like a a very easy version of irritating stick. Yeah, are you familiar with that game? I was actually gonna say the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an operation. It's don't touch the sides for those of you yeah. not familiar with irritating stick. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and but it's cool because it, once again, it lets you access areas way earlier than you should be able to. Lets you find a bunch of extra items and abilities and stuff like that. Um, at some point in the game, uh, you start unlocking abilities you can actually learn from alien enemies. Right, um, and that's through like a Metroid Prime style scope that you have. Uh, where you can <laughs> analyze enemies and as you analyze more and higher level enemies, you unlock more notches on your skill tree. Right. Um, so basically you can start learning alien abilities, although it does actually start making you part alien, uh, right. which is kind of interesting because then anything that's supposed to automatically detect a human will turn on you. So turrets will start firing at you and like <laughs> all this crazy stuff. Um, so okay i don't know how rare this is but i made a concerted effort early in this game that aliens bad so i didn't do any alien neuromods through the entire game wow and i feel like at the end it put me at an extreme disadvantage yes but but i feel like alien bad i don't (laughs) do that you know so i mean i don't know so it is kind of well, first of all, yeah, that's ridiculous. When you told me that, I was like, what? Because, like, I had, I really only had one alien power, but I maxed it out all the way uh, oh, on, really? my, on my original playthrough. I did a new game plus for this episode. So you were just, like, Jedi Master or what? Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> but uh, on my first playthrough, I only had one alien ability, and it was just the normal, like, blast. You can do, like, an energy blast. Mm. But I the minute I got it, I just maxed it out. Like I analyzed all the enemies I needed to and got all the neuromods. So I basically just had like a nuke in my left hand, the whole game. <laughs> and it's like, it made the, the end part actually a lot more fun. Cause when you're in those room right. full of enemies, you can just area of effect, like nuke everybody. Mm, okay. I really, I concentrated on picking up heavy stuff. So I like maxed out like the carry thing, even though oh, I never yeah. threw anything at bad guys. Yeah, you can throw on, you can throw like refrigerators at bad guys, and I never did that. Um, I maxed out hacking, and I maxed out like all the gunsmithing stuff. Hmm. So like my shotgun would like one shot most regular bad guys in one hit. Yeah, well, yeah. and dude, it's just like a testament to how fun and flexible this game is. Like 
for example, just the what the leverage skill, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, l- being able to lift up heavy shit. When you max it out, there's stuff in the game that looks like part of the background or just like, like it looks like a wall, but you can actually pick yeah. it up and move it out of the way and access new areas or open up shortcuts. Well, really early in the game, they make it very clear that stuff is blocked off because you can't pick it up. So I felt compelled to max that out because I kept like feeling like I was like missing out on goodies, you know? Yeah, totally. But it's just, man, it's so cool because it's like you can play this game like you're just a shotgun tank or Mm -hmm. you can play this game like you're a a psychic who has to crawl through vents and always hide from enemies because you can't face them head on. Yeah. Um, and it's, I do find yeah. that stealth fails a lot, unfortunately. Um, I got like halfway up the stealth tree and kind of gave up because no matter what I did, stuff would catch me. And I don't feel like the stealth is as good in this as it is in Deus Ex, like the newest ones. Yeah. Like you don't feel sticky enough. Like in Deus Ex, you like stick to the wall, you know, solid snake style. Yeah. This one you always feel exposed. And there's even even times when I was like hiding under desks when like the alien in alien isolation wouldn't have been able to catch me. And just regular ass phantoms would just like stand around and their like attention bars would go up. Yeah. Like, looking at the desk I'm under. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So I I don't love the stealth in this one. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean the stealth isn't great. But I also think that that's kind of like an asset to the game in terms of horror because like there are just so many times especially early in the game where like you just have to fucking run from enemies and there's just like dudes popping out at you all over the place and it's like really stressful Mm -hmm. Uh, this game is stressful as fuck especially in the early game yeah because uh, essentially you just end up in this big lobby and the lobby ends up being like the connecting tissue for the rest of the game um, and there's so many different ways to go and so many baddies that like right when you're starting the game ammunition is like very very light and you just keep finding these fucking mimics everywhere like turning into coffee cups and shit yeah and uh, it can get pretty harrowing in the first I would say like two hours of this game yeah pro tip grab the shotgun as early as you can you can climb up a pipe and go through the security room yeah get the shotgun right away yeah you have to well and it's a cool so the the way progression works into the game is cool because not only is it just oh you fill up the skill tree but uh crafting plays into it a lot too so Uh you basically uh like in any bethesda game you collect a lot of junk uh Mm -hmm. and you go to these recycler machines and then you turn it into like useful materials uh like element cubes yeah, which is like the most satisfying thing for anyone who's ever been like walking around in an Elder Scrolls game with like a thousand cheese bricks and <laughs> candlesticks in their backpack or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's so satisfying. Um, yeah, they all fall out of the recycling machine and you want to like gobble them all up. Yeah, exactly. And make a great <laughs> like kind of a cha-ching noise as they fall into the uh, into the pan. Great, yeah. great sound design. Oh, another pro tip towards the end of this game the junk gets really rare like i used all my junk pro tip recycle your guns you don't want yeah i didn't realize that until way late in the game and i never had enough metal elements yeah because you find a lot of duplicate guns early in the game and you need that that skill that lets you take them apart yeah yeah um 
but yeah, so the way that the way that the crafting plays in the progression though is that as you go along, you find plans so you can make your mm -hmm. own items. So it's cool because like right away you're like, okay, I need neuromods and you're having to find them, but later on you can build your own. Or it's the same with right. ammo where it's like early on you're like, oh my god, I can't find any ammo. Later you can like make your own ammo. So I feel like even playing this on New Game Plus, because so much of the progression is locked behind finding those plans, I was still at a pretty big disadvantage for the first half of the game and I was still really? a fucking scrub just <laughs> sticking to the shadows. And once again, I think the difficulty, the disadvantage you're at, the alien vibes, I think this game works super well as a horror game because of that design choice. All of that holds up until the last third of this game but yes <laughs> <laughs> but yes yeah and the other note about difficulty that also pertains to the last third of the game is that uh you can switch it up and down at any time uh and they've mm -hmm. there is a story mode so if you're totally getting rocked you can turn <laughs> it down to story mode and just sail your way to the end which i would probably recommend for the end part yeah, the end is not a lot of fun. Uh-huh. And, and it really limits the way you play, too. Like, there's so much emphasis on, like, play this any way you can until the end of the game, and then it ruins it. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Me and Jason Schreier got opinions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kotaku ran, like, an article <laughs> about it, right? Yeah. And, like, I felt, like, super vindicated stumbling across this article. It's like, okay, other people feel exactly how I feel. <laughs> well, let's just talk about it then. Okay, well, so the first two-thirds of this game, you're, try you're trying to figure out a plan. Are we going to, like, blow up this space station or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, what happens is it pulls a half-life, and then, like, the commando squad comes to, like, kill you. Um... At this point in the game, the entire uh, space station is just filled with these stupid militarized robots. Yeah. They look like flying PC cases. Yeah. <laughs> and they just laser the living fuck out of you. Yeah. And so, I guess what you're supposed to do is find the leader, kill him, and then f f find his robot compatriot and kill it too. I thought that was going to stop all the stupid robots, but it did not. I just ended up like sprinting from one door to the next, from like one loading screen to the next. I just sprinted and got to the next objective as fast as possible. Yeah. And that was the only way I could play the game until somebody re uh, reminded me that there's an easy mode. And then <laughs> I felt like a prick, but I had to switch it to easy mode to finish the game. But yeah, I mean, yeah. So it is, it is true. And it is a weakness of this game throughout that whenever it gets more linear it it's weaker like there's certain segments that you like you have to go here and do this and then there's a cutscene, and all those parts are probably like the weaker parts of the game um and it's 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 strange you know like you have to wonder how much was like the publisher being like it needs this and how much was the developer just kind of having strange ideas about what makes a game good or what's the essential like good thing in their game mm -hmm. um so there is kind of a struggle like when you're when you're playing this game it's not like gordon freeman like stumbling into these like moments of like him being a hero 
uh, you're really dragged along by this like narrative thread that you don't really care a ton about. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, in that way, it reminds me of Alien Isolation, where yeah, for sure, it's like the core game is so good and the game is so good, but it's got this stupid story tacked on, <laughs> and it just keeps going and going and going. I will say that if it wasn't for the difficulty in the last part of it, I wouldn't feel like the game was too long. But, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And also, at least in this game, you can easily pop down the difficulty and it works. I think I mentioned this in the Alien Isolation episode, but my copy was like fucked up and the difficulty wouldn't drop until I reinstalled the game. And oh so, God. like, I got really <laughs> stuck in that game because it wouldn't let me drop the difficulty. And, like, the end of that game was just, like, that was, like, the most, like, drudgery I've maybe ever experienced in a video game. Mm. And I will say Prey is better than that. <laughs> well, it, it's it's just like a crapshoot. If you don't put it on easy mode, you're, you're going to load a lot until you get this little stretch right. Yeah. And, you know... To put a cherry on top, they I feel like they really backloaded a lot of the side missions in this game. So like as you're doing all this like really hectic hectic combat, like you'll start getting these side missions like, oh save me. Or like, oh, go outside the spaceship and like open the escape pod hatch so we can escape. And it's like I'm like diving to the next door, like jumping over bad guys, like yeah. with my shotgun out, trying to get to the next thing and like I have to like turn tail and then go like save someone real quick. Yeah, totally. I mean, there, there's this one part where uh, a guy in the medical bay calls you like, hey, I finally, okay, I finally got in contact with somebody. Come save me in the medical bay. And you go up there and there's like 15 of those killer robots. <laughs> yeah. And like I played that part at least 10 times trying to save this guy. And every time one of the robots would kill him. Yeah, and I would try to stealth around and save him, but nothing, nothing I did would keep that guy alive. Uh, I kept him alive long enough to get a like a win on the uh, on the mission, like the mission objective said I completed it, but then he immediately died. Yeah, <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> well, and I think that there's also like the approach you have to take with this game is that you're just gonna play it, and what's gonna happen is gonna happen, like. That might sound kind of weird, but what I mean is like, so, okay. One of the things I love in this game is the spacewalking. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that is really cool. At any time you can go out the hatch and go outside the station and you frequently have to, to get from one blocked area to another. Um, and the first time you do it, it's like amazing. Like it's so, so, so cool. Cause it's like, it feels truly weird and disorienting in a way that's like very convincing. Like obviously I've never been mm -hmm. on a spacewalk, but <laughs> um, we talked about it in the uh, observation episode uh, that like it's cool in that game because they managed to make it feel weird and disorienting. But a lot of that is through like cinematic tricks uh, in this game. They do it through like pure design like just the way that your character moves around is like so weird and disorienting but it's really really cool like i loved going spacewalking in this game 
Um, I, I will say that the lighting is really, really cool when you're outside the spaceship. Oh, yeah. Like the way that like, you know, the spaceship is like rotating and like the shadows, there's like interplay with the shadows and then you see like your shadow on things. It's really cool. It's super cool. But pretty early in the game, you're out there and someone calls you and is like, hey, I'm in this pod. Come help me. And like, I was like, okay. And I went over to try and help them and they died. Like, of course they like super died like i failed really hard and i was like oh weird but then like i still got like the log with their info and i got like some sort of item or something so i was like oh i guess i can just like let people die and so i'm talking about the doctor guy yeah i saved him oh sure i couldn't help but not save him i I, i'm always like the fucking hero in these games and i can't live with myself if everyone doesn't survive See, I just load it over and over until I get it right. You can't play this game like that because <laughs> you won't enjoy it. Like, yeah, I think that's like the genius of this game is like you're in this abandoned, mostly dead space station. There's really nothing to save. You're just trying to kind of get out. And yeah, you have to have that fatalist mindset. Because if you try and actually achieve everything and save everyone, you're not going to have any fun. But if you're trying to just spook around an abandoned spaceship and fucking, you know, get some cool story and cool atmosphere and just be in the moment, like, you'll actually really enjoy this game, you know? Like, yeah. trying to be completionist with this game, which is, it just sounds like a nightmare to me. Yeah, well, going with that, the, the endings are nothing to shake a stick at. Um, it's an interesting concept, but I agree with no, you, not. yeah. It's basically the Wizard of Oz. It's awful. Spoiler alert: the ending's awful. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very weird. I mean, I remember the first time I played this game, so I had already kind of like clocked that the story was stupid bullshit, um, yeah. and that I was I was just like enjoy the fact that I was enjoying playing the game was like the most I was going to enjoy playing the game. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. cool, I'll roll with it. Um, but I did have this feeling every time there was a major plot beat that i was like well maybe this is where something like really crazy and cool happens Mm. and it it just doesn't happen and the ending is just another example of that where they kind of just plop this weird twist into your lap uh yeah and then it's you're just kind of like huh (laughs) like (laughs) and it's technically different based on your actions in the game but it's like very subtly different like if you play and complete this game and jump on youtube and watch the other different quote-unquote different endings it's basically the exact same ending yeah, gonna i was gonna say it, it's definitely like watch on youtube ending quality right yeah but once again i'm not gonna quit harping on the fact that like the story is not why you play this game <laughs> yes well since we're kind of like marinating on a little bit of the negatives here, I've, I've got a few to run down here, oh, here uh, because go. this game, this game's not perfect. Like I, I enjoyed it a lot, but it's not perfect. A lot of the areas feel homogenous. Like I know it's a space station, and every space station has to feel like a space station. There's a lot of homogeny in like, oh my god, like there's a lot of hallways here. <laughs> I am gonna push back on you on that because I think the level design is so good that I didn't care. True. That is very true. That's my, I mean, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I'm going to say that it didn't impact my enjoyment of the game at all. Like it would in a more linear game. If you're like me and you stick to like human things and guns, there's an extreme lack of weapon variety. 
you get a pistol, a shotgun, a stun gun, and this like big laser gun. Yeah. Besides the glue cannon, the the glue cannon doesn't really count for me as a gun because it's more of a tool. It counts when you have the psionic blast, which is how you should play the game, which is the glue gun and the psi blast. <laughs> I played the game all wrong. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm talking maximum fun time, dude. <laughs> um, and yeah, like the whole ending thing, like the last third of the game is not well designed and it kind of I, I wouldn't say it like spoiled the experience for me. But I feel like if I played through this game again, I wouldn't feel bad quitting two-thirds of the way through. Yeah, and I, I can't remember if I'm making this up or if I actually heard this, but I feel like there's an interview where the the dev basically admits that the final act is not good. Oh, really? it is real. It's on an episode of Kotaku Split Screen. Okay. I oh, just wow. Go, yeah so jason schreier there you go jason schreier so it's actually a really look that one up yeah it's a really funny conversation because they had actually been in like a fight like jason schreier and um the head of arcane uh rafael colantonio um and so they kind of like make up and then they have this interview and uh it's really good and he basically talks about like how they were just in a bad situation and they were crunching and they really didn't have the time to finish it the way they wanted to finish it. And then the game underperforming meant that they just weren't really going to get a chance to do that or to like really go back and retool it. Yeah. So it really feels like the easy or sorry, the story mode is like the patch fix for the end of the game, but they know that they fucked up. Hmm. Yeah. It really is a shame. Because there, a lot of really cool stuff happens, like that that kind of giant Lovecraftian thing shows up, and like the whole space station gets filled with this like this weird glowy thready stuff they call the coral, yeah, and it's like floating and all. And it's like super pretty and scary. Um, yeah, it's just, it just falls flat on its face. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like you're. You're totally right. And like I said, the developer even yeah. himself was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I think what all this gets at is that this, what I've been saying all along, which is like, this game is just so fun and satisfying and fucking mm. cool, but it's a gameplay experience. And I think yeah. what yeah. impressed me the most, and the reason that we're talking about it on this podcast is it's like an effective procedurally generated horror game like the the world isn't procedurally generated but the scares and the experiences and the things that you get into are like mm -hmm. none of the cool shit is scripted and all the lame shit is scripted actually. all the lame shit is scripted yeah yeah and it's a lot like alien isolation in that specific way and sure i think it's just like such an achievement in that regard the downside is that it's not like it's not a game that you need to like finish it's not a game that you're going to be totally gripped by the story i think a lot of people who actually give it a chance will like it enough that they'll finish it and at least be interested in what happens and how things go but like mm. that's not the point of the game and what's amazing is that the other parts of the game are so strong that i didn't even really care that it didn't have a strong 
like narrative to it. It makes me think that maybe the point that Deus Ex Mankind Divided was two-thirds of a game is not like the worst fate that game could have had. Oh, yeah. It's two-thirds of a game, but like what you get are like pretty damn good, you know? Yeah. Well, and how, I mean, here's the thing. This game may be more frustrating than a lot of the games we cover in the last third, but how is it different from most of the games we cover where the last third shits the bed and has too much combat? Yeah, true. It really does pull a Fallout New Vegas at the end. I also, I think saying the last third is too, I think that's really unforgiving. I'd say it's more like the last quarter at most. Really? Yeah. I just remember a lot of loading. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably spent more time on it because you were trying to quick save, quick load your way into completing shit, and I didn't give a fuck. So I just like because like, I played the game wrong and I <laughs> ended up at a dead, broken game at the end. Yeah, I don't think it's actually that much of the game, but it definitely is the final act. It's the last part of the game, you know. So with the force push, can you just like knock over all the floating robots or something? Well, I was just like blowing them up. I mean, <laughs> you still can't like kill them all and it's still like really difficult, but you can like blow a bunch of them up and then like run through the explosion basically. Yeah. So annoying. I was trying to use my stun gun on them. Oh yeah. And nah. it would take like two and a half full charges to kill them. Yeah. It's just a total nightmare. <laughs> and then when you kill one, the, the vending machine makes another one. Mm, so yeah. what I would do is kill the ones in the area and then like put a refrigerator against the vending machine so it couldn't pop anymore <laughs> out. Yeah. But see, even that is like hilarious. Like, oh, I do want to mention this game lets you drink out of water fountains and gain one health just oh, yeah. like Duke Nukem 3D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Duke Nukem. This game also lets you collect and eat whatever uh, food and beverage you can find in yeah. an image that never stopped being hilarious. Because I just imagined my little like uh, little spaceman just running around gobbling up all these fucking like half-eaten <laughs> bananas and like oranges and shit. Yeah, just in like the middle of like the fight for your life, right? There's like four aliens, like one floating, like shooting laser beams at you. You gotta open like twelve sardine cans and like <laughs> scarf down all these sardines and like some baked beans and yeah, maybe some uh, oolong tea. Yeah, <laughs> throw back six or seven oolong teas real quick, dude. Love it. <laughs> I think that this game, in a way that is just much better presented and much more engaging and more fun to play, really captures the spirit of those old PC games. Like, yeah. it captures the janky fun of the old immersive sims and the janky fun of playing old online games and just, like, how ridiculous and over the top it was. Uh, <laughs> I think this game captures that, but it's also, like, moody and atmospheric and scary, you know? Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. why I, that's why I had so much fun playing it and that why I was just, like, just so bewildered. Like, where are all the people talking about how great this game is? Yeah, and I mean, it's generally, like, I've seen it for, like, $5 over and over again. And I think that's when I finally bought it is when I saw it for 5 bucks, I was like, okay, Ollie talks about this enough. I think I'll spend $5 on it. I know. Yeah, I really need to play it, man. <laughs> I'm, like, such a bad friend. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, you won't regret it. Hit, Hitman's last third is fantastic. I know. I'm just, <laughs> I mean... I need to play it. It's just like such a 
such a time sink. I know it's gonna be like, I just finished Breath of the Wild. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to pop open another can of that size. I feel like even though I spent 700 hours with Hitman, you wouldn't have to to completely enjoy the game. I would say the worst part about Hitman is getting through the tutorials. Yeah. Uh, because, like, Hitman's a game about replayability, and they try to instill that in you by making you play the tutorial twice. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's awful. But if you get through that, you're in for a good time. Yeah. I wonder if it's just, like, with these type of games, like immersive sims and, you know, open-ended games in general, that it's just really difficult to sell the average person on, like, how good it is. Well, I think it's heavy systems-based. Mm-hmm. And first-person, so it's not a... I'm, I'm sorry, uh, single-player, so it's not a social experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they generally take a lot of time. Um, yeah, it's... You know, a lot of first-person shooters now, they don't even come with a f- one-player story mode, which to me is, like, really fucking weird, but to other people is normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't think single player campaigns are like in vogue right now, especially with something that's difficult and heavily systems based. You know, Hitman's that way, Prey is that way. Definitely. Yeah. I feel too, though, that there's just like, there's an intangibility to it that's really hard to communicate. Like, me just trying to be like, no, listen, it's really fun. You crawl through ducks and there's ghosts everywhere. Like,. <laughs> <laughs> They're, like I'm trying to get at an intangible feeling that this game gave me and it's just really really difficult to hit that um, mm. or even just like I don't know like these games have so many subtle things like I was saying there's so many little things that you're trying to pick up and communicate to to someone when you're telling them how great it is or even like the sound design and the music in this game is fantastic but it's all really subtle like it's pretty rare mm. that there's like a loud music cue or that there's like you know, sound that really hits you over the head. But after you've been playing long enough, you're just like, oh, I can recognize these weird little gurgles and know what that enemy is. And like, yeah, they sound really cool. Oh my God. Those fucking phantoms you can't see. Yeah. God damn it. Never again. <laughs> well, that's when I turned the game on is when I experienced the first phantom. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, there's so much cool, like subtle shit. Yeah. There's fucking poltergeists in this game. That's like, what I meant. The poltergeists. Yeah. 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 There's goddamn poltergeists. Like, but it's just, it's really hard to communicate why that's cool and how that's cool. And so I think that people who fall in love with, a game like this or a game like hitman or like deus ex or anything like you're gonna have a hard time convincing people that it's so great maybe that's why people love games like uncharted so much is that it's just more of a cinematic experience and not like difficulty or systems yeah uh centric you know yeah well because yeah like uncharted is fucking doritos and this shit is fucking chilaquiles you know what i'm saying <laughs> Like, I like both. <laughs> but, like, like it's easy to tell someone, like, hey, you want some fucking cheese dust? And they're like, oh, yeah. hell yeah. But if you're like, do you want a home-cooked meal? They're like, I don't know. Is it good? And you're like, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Did you wash your hands? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there's just, it, it's just, like, different. But, yeah, something like a big cinematic game, it's so easy to, not just to, tell but to show like 
why it's it's why you want it you know well what boggles my mind is that something like half-life 2 was such a massive success and something like this like quote-unquote flopped yeah well half-life 2 to bring this conversation back to where we started is the ultimate internet's favorite game that is absolutely the internet's favorite game so anything that's even remotely like it deserves to be hated scorned and destroyed (laughs) absolutely yeah absolutely find me on reddit for more great takes like this (laughs) clock tower is the best game of all time it really is in infallibly uh, I'm infallible, and Clock Tower is the greatest game of all time. Yeah, anyone who criticizes it should be murdered by the police. Just downvoted <laughs> by the police. Admin, please cancel this man. Hello, nine one one. This man hates Clock Tower. Kill him. I think that's it, right? <laughs> but b- before I start ranting about the nightmare, let's do Game Club. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Game Club. What is next? Uh, I believe what is next is uh, Yuppie Psycho, a game I was looking forward to and forgot about it existing. And I had rediscovered it from somebody mentioning it. And yeah, look forward to that one. Yeah. And then after that, uh, not do two new releases in a row. What are we, fucking IGN or some shit? <laughs> God damn. Because yeah, uh, IGN plays. Dude, we're talking about disaster report for summer vacation (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to go on vacation yeah well that's actually called summer memories but that title's even funnier to me for some reason Mm -hmm. yeah it's like uh like police academy (laughs) Four. the best one (laughs) yeah yeah disaster report four is a game that was canceled in 2011 and then it, (laughs) it came right back I mean, does it feel like 2011? Find out next time. <laughs> <laughs>